Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Chris Flannery. Two guests this week, two uh, very good uh, and cool dudes, and I enjoy talking to them both. Conrad Thompson is first up, the wrestling podfather. He's the host of four immensely popular wrestling podcasts, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, What Happened When with Tony Schiavone, and Grilling JR with Jim Ross. And Conrad and I talk about... Uh, uh, Eric Bischoff and Bruce Pritchard now being part of WWE Creative and what that means for he and his podcasts, as well as the new Grilling JR podcast, which uh, is not only terrific, but as you will hear in this podcast, blowing up in terms of downloads. So Conrad Thompson, who has been on the show before, is first up. And then we followed by Chris Herring, senior NBA writer for 538 and the former Knicks beat writer at the Wall Street Journal. And Chris and I talk about viewership uh, for or sort of how we think viewership may play in the upcoming NBA season, what all the free agency moves mean, Kawhi and Paul George to the Clippers, Kyrie Irving to the Nets, Kemba Walker to the Celtics. What's that going to mean in terms of popularity, interest, and viewership to the league? And then we get into a little bit of basketball just in terms of the uh, you know super teams versus parity and what we expect from East Coast viewers in terms of tuning into the Lakers and Clippers this year. So Conrad Thompson first, followed by Chris Herring. Both guys coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Conrad Thompson is the he's uh, he's now the uh, the official wrestling podfather, given all the podcasts that he does, which I mentioned uh, again <laughs> earlier. He's this is a dynasty in the making. It's basically the Nick Saban of podcasters now. He has been on this podcast many times, and he comes back to join me again on the Sports Media Podcast because there are new developments when it comes to his empire. Conrad Thompson, welcome back as always. Man, what a great introduction. The Nick Saban of podcasting. I'm in. Thank you, sir. <laughs> You're right. You sprinkle a little Conrad dust on everything, and it's and, and, and the downloads come. Uh, it's like Hulk dust. So, I sure hope so. Yeah. So, all right. So, here's, I mean, a number of things have happened since we last talked, but let's get the latest news, and that's Eric Bischoff, who you are a part of with 83 Weeks is off to start work on creative for SmackDown. And so, again, what an opportunity for Eric Bischoff. Um, I have no doubt that your podcast um, helped with that, at least in terms of being sort of reintroducing Eric to, you know, a whole uh, new world again, even though obviously his his history in the business is uh, pretty secure. So let's start here, Conrad. How will you approach episodes going forward given that now, one, Eric works for the WWE, and two, I would imagine his time, uh, you know, his sort of, his time crunch or his logistics changes significantly. Well, yeah, that's the big challenge is, you know, the time is now at a premium. You know, Eric has been semi-retired. You know, he did conference calls through the week from his uh, beautiful home in Montana, but Outside of making appearances on the weekend, he was pretty much available to record our show whenever through the week. And I know that's about to change. He'll have a traditional desk job, I'm sure, that he'll report to in Stanford, Connecticut, uh, because he's uprooting his life. And, you know, he's going from sort of living in the middle of nowhere in Montana on a ranch. Now he's going to be in the hustle and bustle of New York City. And uh, he's going to be working directly with Vince McMahon. So I imagine that that is going to become very quickly a 24-7 job. That's certainly been the case for Bruce Pritchard. So 
in an effort to sort of get ahead, he and I have started to stockpile some episodes. I think we're two or three weeks ahead now. We're going to try to make some more headway on it this week. So hopefully by the time he's in the grind, you know, we've got five or six in the can. Now, I don't plan to use all of those. I just want to have them to, uh, you know, if there is a situation where he's got to be in Saudi Arabia all of a sudden, we've got an opportunity to still have new, fresh content to deliver. So that's the biggest change. It's just the scheduling aspect. Uh, we're not going to talk about anything current. Uh, obviously, it's in his contract. He can't talk about anything current, but they were gracious enough to allow him to continue the podcast. And why wouldn't they? It, uh, it serves their network. Almost everything we talk about is on the WWE Network, which is their biggest you know, revenue model behind television rights. So it's a no-brainer for them to let him keep it. But we can't veer off and talk about what's happening in 2019. All right, so that, that, that answers sort of one big question. Here's the second one. One of the things I think that has been great about your podcast is the honesty from the guests about how they were feeling at that, at that time. Uh, you, there's one great thing about JR for the Grilling JR podcast is he, is he is brutally honest, and I think it makes for very compelling podcasting. Uh, Eric has been, I think, in that position as well when it comes to how he was feeling about the WWE during, um, you know, the big fight with WCW. And there were times he certainly disliked Vince McMahon or disliked things Vince, things Vince did. Do you think Eric can still sort of channel that while in current day working for Vince McMahon? I do. You know, I think he'll have a different appreciation maybe for working closely with Vince because he really didn't have a chance to work too too closely with Vince last time, especially not on, you know, major business decisions. So I don't know that he really understands sort of the mind of McMahon from a business standpoint. Uh, certainly he worked with him as far as a, a, an in-ring performer, an on-camera performer when he was, you know, uh, the GM of Raw or SmackDown or whatever he did in years prior. So he has an idea or a flavor for what Vince is like there. But as far as the actual corporate business, I don't think he really does. And I think that will add a more interesting layer because he'll be able to go back and say now, well, here's what I thought at the time, but I've learned in more recent years that Vince probably was thinking this. So I think it adds another layer to the onion. Uh, but I don't think that he'll be coming out and calling Vince a bird face punk, uh, which is something that we marketed as a t-shirt last year, making fun of Vince McMahon. And I don't know that we'll talk. I'm glad we got the whole, I want to challenge Vince McMahon to a fight episode out of the way early, because that one's still there in the archives for you to go back and hear how he would mop the floor with Vince. That answer may change now that he's got some extra commas coming his way. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of look at those muscles, boss. Um, the uh, Bruce has been back at WWE since late February, early March. How do you think that that job has impacted your podcast, Conrad? And whatever you thought at the time, has it matched the reality of what you thought the podcast would be, would be this many months later with Bruce there? Yeah, the time is a lot more limited. I knew that, um, well, I mean, here's, here's some rumor and innuendo. If Bruce moves to Connecticut, I think you'll have more free time. I think a lot of people sort of assume well, he's just working TV. All right, here's what that looks like. You fly in on Sundays. So you're in a hotel in an airport Sunday, and then you go do Raw, and then you're in a hotel in an airport Monday night, 
and then you go do SmackDown, and you're in a hotel in an airport Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. So he's not getting home un- usually until Wednesday afternoon. So, you know, Sunday midday through Wednesday afternoon, he's not home at all. And then as soon as he gets home, he's got meetings all you know day and night, Wednesday night, sort of talking about what happened on Raw and SmackDown and getting ready for the next week. And then he's got a regular work day Thursday and Friday. So your your options for recording a podcast become very, very limited. And they're much more limited than even I imagined. You know, we, a few weeks ago, had to take a podcast at 5 in the morning the day a show was supposed to drop because that was literally the only time we could do it and still deliver. Uh, but we made it happen. And so as a result, I think Bruce uh, has less pep on his step on the podcast. He's more tired. He's more worn out. And that's probably... Uh, not the Bruce that we had maybe a year ago. That being said, if a move to Connecticut were to happen, which isn't a terrible idea, then he would be home most every night. So that little bit of shift could make all the difference in the world. Conrad, do you think Bruce is pulling any punches uh, since February, March, given his current position? No, and and I know, here's the thing. He was pulling punches all along. I mean, you go back <laughs> and you listen to us talk about WrestleMania 19 when Booker T wrestled uh, Triple H. I think that was 19 in Seattle. And it took him, it took Triple H, you know, 30 minutes to cover him after a pedigree. And this is after they had, you know, really built it up to where it became a must-win situation for Booker T. And then he didn't. And Bruce, Bruce would defend that all day long. And that was well before he went back. So I know people will listen to the show now and they'll hear that and they'll say, oh, he's just kissing their ass because they went back to work. He went back to work with WWE. No, he was kissing their ass three years ago too. So <laughs> nothing changed with the way he has approached Triple H or Vince McMahon. He's not ever really been super critical. And if you heard something where Bruce was super critical, it was about someone who isn't there, like a Jerry Jarrett. Uh, but but he's never been super critical of Triple H or Vince McMahon, and that hasn't changed now. So I think people are just more in tune with it and, and are more apt to sort of jump at it. But it was there all along. It just wasn't painful, you know. It wasn't also in the in the in the media. Oh, well, he's back and he got a big payday and blah blah blah. Conrad, do you um, have you had any interaction with anyone from WWE on the content of this? Is I'm talking about since Bruce is back on the content of the podcast or them um, dictating any kind of terms regarding the use of Bruce? Absolutely not. You know, the only thing that was, was very clear, and this didn't come from WWE, you know, I wanted to be clear with Bruce. We can't talk about anything current. And I want to avoid talking about anything current by design. And, and he, of course, said, well, I offered that, and they took it. So... Uh, or, or some narrative. I, I don't know the exact wording, but the understanding is there is an understanding, a gentleman's agreement. We're not talking about anything current. Like, first of all, that's not what I want to talk about. That I, I am a nostalgia dealer. I, I am a proprietor of wrestling nostalgia. I don't want a storefront that talks about what happened on Monday Night Raw. It's a crowded space. Everybody else is already doing it. And it puts him in an unwinnable position if we did talk about it, where he's got to defend it and then go explain what was said on a pot, the most listened wrestling podcast. We can't do that. It's a no win situation for everybody. So let's just keep doing what we've been doing. And that's serve people up to go watch things on the WWE network from 1989. And and we've been successful in that. So why would we deviate? I don't want to 
you know, fix what's not broken. So I want to double down on nostalgia. Uh, but we've, we've had, I've had zero conversation and to my knowledge, Bruce has had zero conversation with anybody about the content of the podcast beyond a very clear understanding. We're not talking about anything current. I, I don't want to, he can't, he's in an unwinnable position. They probably don't want him to. So it's three thumbs down for us. Kyron, one of the interesting things to me in terms of sort of navigating this new world would be live shows because, you know, you you have Bruce at a live show, you have Eric at a live show, and I've I've been at one. Uh, I mentioned I was at the Barclays one, which was a, which was a ton of fun, and got to meet Conrad and Bruce. They were they were they were great dudes. Um, but you know, one of the things Conrad that you do do at live shows is you take Q and As, so where you can't. Um, you know, you sort of you, you can't predict if somebody in the audience at a live show would ask about current creative. Now, Bruce could obviously say, "Hey, I can't talk about that," but that kind of you know that's not really great, obviously, for people who bought tickets. So, does the new jobs for Eric and Bruce change conceptually how you think about live shows? Well, first of all, we're not doing any live shows, and we're not doing any live shows with those guys anymore, just because of the schedule I just ran through. You know, if it's gotcha. a situation where they're out of town. You know, from Sunday afternoon until Wednesday afternoon, they have three days at home. Uh, let's not put them back on the road, back on another plane, back in another hotel. And if we were piggybacking WWE events, which is normally what we did, the idea being if there was a Sunday afternoon pay-per-view, you could come see Bruce and I right before. Well, Bruce would have to be at the building working on the actual pay-per-view. He can't be over here podcasting about old stuff. He needs to focus on what's more important which is the, the pay-per-view. So those are done, but we have done a couple of shows since he went back because we had already promoted them and advertised them. And I can tell you how I handled it. You know, we said up front, we're not going to talk about anything current. And when, and I don't know how someone could attend a nostalgia podcast and think that they were going to talk about current stuff. To me, that's way off base. Like we don't talk about anything current. Why would, why would you think that would be different at the live show? But before we would start the Q and a portion, I would lay that out very clearly. Hey guys, you know, we appreciate you coming out and all your support and thanks for listening to all these episodes, but we're going to keep the questions sort of in line with what we've been doing. We're going to talk about nostalgia. Uh, if you have a question about the current product, now is not the time or place. Bruce can't answer and Bruce won't shut you down. I will. So if you got a question about big boss man in 1988, we can't wait to hear it. But if you want to know about Baron Corbin next Tuesday, we're moving on to the next one. So you can ask it, but we're not going to answer and we're going to go to the next one. And if that makes me a bad guy, that makes me a bad guy. But no one was listening to the show ever to hear us talk about current Raw or SmackDown, so I don't know why they would have a different expectation now. Connor, I feel like at this part of the podcast I should drop a Blue Chew uh, ad because uh, there's nothing like uh, one of your reads for erectile dysfunction uh, than on your yeah, podcast. That, but I will. Become, <laughs> it's become my trademark, for better or worse. I mean, I feel like I. Uh, I mean, I should have stock in the company. Let's just let's just say it like it is. You know. Uh, you've you've <laughs> you have satisfied your agreement in my opinion with that company. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to Jr. Though, because this, on the other hand, I got to give Jim Ross a lot of credit. He was a guest on this podcast not too long ago uh, to talk about his new AEW gig. He has brought it, in my opinion, on the podcast. He is super honest. Uh, he has been, and understandably so, it doesn't work for them anymore, but. You know, things that went on at WWE and things that Vince and some other people did that I, that I would argue were pretty awful, JR is not fooling around. He, he, he brings it, he tells you about it, and it's very, very compelling. Um, you've probably been asked about this in other forums, but I do want to ask you 
this. How did you and JR ultimately come together for this? Both of you have been in wrestling podcasting before. Um, so how did, how did this uh, partnership uh, come together? Well, it's funny. We did a, um, I got acquainted with him through Ric Flair years ago and we were always friendly, but didn't really have much of a real relationship. And then, uh, at Wale mania in Orlando in 2017, we wound up being on a panel together and I was seated next to Jr. and sort of off mic, he leaned over and said, you know, one day you and I are going to do a show together and we're going to make some real money. And I just sort of thought that was cool, but I mean, that was the end of it. We never really talked about it again. And then I I had a meeting with Westwood one early in the year and they asked me what I thought of JR's podcast. And I said, well, I don't listen every week, but I think JR is a gold mine. And they said, how do you mean? And I said, well, with my format, nobody has a story like him. Nobody was in the position he was in at the time he was there, you know, going back to the territory days and then working with Watts and then brokering the deal from Watts to Crockett and then Crockett and then WCW and then the WWF and that close relationship he had with the talent that he hired, that he fired, you know, working with Vince and all the ups and downs of being, you know, Vince McMahon's yo-yo. I just thought it would be a fascinating story. And so Tim Sabian and and Robert Mathers and the guys at Westwood, they thought that was pretty intriguing, but we didn't really have another follow-up conversation. And then when it was announced that Bruce was going back to WWE, randomly jr just checked on me like wanted to make sure that i knew and everything was okay and this wasn't a total shock which i thought was very nice and then i said something like uh yeah we're still getting to do the podcast but hey uh what about a jr and conrad podcast and he replied with a question mark and we did a very quick call and he said that's interesting let me think about it and then he called me back two days later and said hey i'm in whatever you want to do let's do it so I went to Westwood and we put together a new deal and put together a new format. And, uh, I'm really, really pleased. I think the first episode that he and I did in three days, it was like more than double what his best download report has been so far. And I'm not taking any credit for that. These are JR stories. These stories were always there, but JR was channeling his show Uh, towards, you know, the current product. And so I think like the most downloaded episodes he had were with like interviews with Jericho or Omega, something like that. Whereas what Jim Ross fans really want to hear is Jim Ross. And so like when I did episodes with Chris Jericho on his podcast before he had Moxley fresh off the WWE and that, and that just blew up for him. I think the episodes that I did with Jericho where it's most downloaded. And that's not because of me. That's because if you listen to a Chris Jericho episode, yeah, it's cool if Chris talks to someone from Kiss or someone from a Ghost Hunter outfit or even Jay Lethal from Ring of Honor. But what's even cooler if you're a Chris Jericho fan is to just hear Chris Jericho tell his story. And so now, finally, Jim Ross fans have a chance to really hear Jim Ross's story, not necessarily his opinion on what happened on Raw or SmackDown, which was the old format, but instead what they grew up on, the voice of their childhood, the voice of wrestling. And now people really get to hear and and know that JR. And I think it has done a world of good for the perception of JR. Whereas maybe they say, oh, he doesn't get today's wrestling. Hey man, that's today. What about all the stuff you grew up on? What about the stuff when you were a kid? And by the way, I do think JR gets today's wrestling, but that's beside the point. That's the big debate online is that, oh, JR is old and out of touch or whatever. I disagree. I think, you know, that's not 
JR's true value, and especially in the podcast space. Man, I want to hear about when you signed The Rock. I want to hear about when you brokered the deal to Crockett. I want to hear about when Vince McMahon fired you. I mean, that type of stuff is the stuff that wrestling fans like myself really, really crave. And I think Grilling JR very shortly will be the biggest podcast in the space. Wow, that's a big statement, and I'm not sure I disagree. Uh, and everything you said, I totally agree with. I think it's been it's been a revelation. I'm also agree with you. Anybody who heard uh, JR's call of John Moxley um, uh, when he arrived unexpectedly, the guy still brings it. Conrad, you've been always honest with me when it comes to metrics. Uh, can I ask you where JR's download, grilling JR da- uh, average downloads roughly stands at this time? Over 200,000 a week. Wow, and we're talking, what are we on, maybe we're nine or ten weeks in, or is my math a little off there? Yeah, I think we're like ten episodes in. I think this week will be 11. I could be off on that, but we're pretty close. Uh, but, the, I mean, like, the first uh, the first 48 hours, we had 100,000. By the third day, we had 150,000, and we were rolling. And, and still, I think sometimes some of our listeners um, select what they're going to listen to based on the title of the show, not really putting forth the thought of, hey, what else might be in here? So, like, when we covered an old, well, like, when we covered the uh, the curtain call, I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's been done to death. But we're also talking about all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes in the company in that 30 or 60-day period, and there was a lot of fascinating moving parts on an episode like that. Like, Beware of Dog is a show where, in South Carolina, it's a pay-per-view in 1996, and they lose power. And... It's not that fascinating of a show. It's not even that great of a story. Everybody wants to hear what Vince McMahon's reaction is. And once JR says, oh, he was fine. Well, it's like, well, where else are we going with this? But there was so much news in that era that there were lots of little pivots about, hey, what's really going on with Ahmed Johnson? And uh, how did this TV deal come together? And he was right in the middle of all that. And I think that's what's great about the show is on the surface, it looks like it's one thing. And then you get into it. And now there's all these little sidebars. And it becomes a very fascinating story. And I think that's what a lot of people are figuring out because our, our downloads are trending up. So I think uh, by the end of the summer, I'm, I'm going to be bold. It'll be the most downloaded wrestling podcast. I think it'll pass Bruce. And I think it will mm-hmm. just because at this point, wrestling fans have sort of like they know what to expect with Bruce. They know you know what our catchphrases are and sort of his approach and his attitude. And we've hit a lot of the big topics there's still plenty of big topics to go but we've hit a lot of them so they have an idea of what it is and i think a lot of fans are rediscovering or listening for the very first time to jim ross's take all right current at what point will tony Schiavone get a job in creative in either the wwe or aw what day does this air <laughs> this will air I mean, wednesday july 10th so any time now? No, I mean, serious business. I, I know that I get that all the time as if I had something to do with Bruce or Eric being hired. I didn't have anything to do with that. It's it's really cool that people think that I'm somehow wrestling Illuminati, Illuminati I think Corey Graves called it. But that's not <laughs> yeah. true. Uh, those guys got those jobs based on their relationships and their resumes and their experience and their history in the business. And But I don't think that the podcast hurt sort of their perception. I do think that Uh, Wrestling is like a lot of other things. Perception is reality. So if you're perceived as being a kiss-ass or a stooge or a hack or whatever, and if people say it often and loud enough, that becomes what people think and believe. Uh, And I think the show has changed the way people felt about 
Bruce and the way they felt about Eric and most of all, the way they felt about Tony. So it would not surprise me if WWE or AEW made a play to get him, uh, but I'm not behind the scenes brokering a deal for him. And I know that's sort of the narrative that I phoned Vince McMahon and said, hire Eric, but that's not true. Come on. The uh, I think what is true, and I think as you just sort of pointed out there, is just that you know it brought it brought these guys back into the mainstream, and obviously, certainly in Bruce's case, and maybe it's a little different with Eric and Tony, but um, uh, and I think that had to help. I, I don't. It doesn't mean that these guys couldn't have done the exact same job without you, but I do think uh, I do think hearing them again, I think it's just psychological. You hear them again, you hear them uh, the passion that they have for the business, you hear some of the ideas that they had in the past, and I think it. Um, I think it. I think that adds up. All right, a couple more um, here. I, I, I imagine I have probably asked you this before, but is there is there anyone out there now, Conrad, that is would be really really interesting for you to team up with? Let's let's forget about the logistics and your own schedule, which obviously is very very busy. But is there a person out there if they wanted to do a podcast with you uh, that you think would be uh, potentially as successful as some of the other ones you've had? Okay, so we're pretending that contracts aren't in place and anyone was allowed to do it? Yep, it's we'll go fantasy sort of uh, fantasy um, nostalgia wrestling here. No contracts exist. You can take anybody. Uh, Michael Hayes, Pat Patterson, Triple H, Kevin Dunn, uh, any of those guys who've been sort of in the system for a long time. And I think, you know, the go-to goldmine is, and I know it would be super entertaining, is Paul Heyman. Uh, yeah. But if I had to go, I had to throw you a name that I don't think people would expect. I think Jeff Jarrett would crush. Jeff Jarrett is a charming dude. I grew up not being a Jeff Jarrett wrestling fan. We joke on the shows that he was my fast forward button, and I still refer to fast forward as <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. But then I actually met him, and I'm like, I was all wrong. This is a great guy, and he's smart to the business, and he's very creative, and he's a hell of a producer, and he was a, a, a dream to work with at the first StarCast. I can't say enough nice things about Jeff Jarrett. And I think his story is so unique, especially when you go back to, you know, the way he walked out on Vince McMahon in 95 and then managed to get himself a job in WCW and sort of became a, uh, uh, maybe a horseman, a maybe horseman, we'll call him that. But then he comes back in and, and gets in a top spot in the WWF where he's cutting a promo just sort of throwing off on the top act, having a sacrilegious shirt. I mean, he's talking smack about Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Austin 316 t-shirt. And by the way, he's doing this without a contract. And then he gets signed to a contract and then holds Vince up for more money and then goes and just walks into becoming champion with Vince Russo and does the whole screw job with Hulk Hogan that bashes the beach and then realizes once he's fired on live TV when Vince McMahon buys WCW, I've got to go start my own thing. And then he's lied to about the pay-per-view numbers and realizes I'm out of money and, and taps an investor and says, hey, can you help us out? Well, that guy goes to prison for securities fraud. I mean, this, this is before we meet Dixie Carter. This is before the Kurt Angle story. Nobody has a story like Jeff Jarrett, and I think it would be a home run podcast, but clearly uh, – He's spending his days working hard on the go. <laughs> that would be good. All right, I got uh, two more for you, and then I will let you go. Um, what Roughly, Connor, today, what is your schedule when it comes to these podcasts? I know you still have the mortgage business, but you're, you know, you're now up to, you're now up to uh, four podcasts a week, and you have to obviously, as you mentioned earlier, 
during our discussion here that you have to juggle the schedules of Bruce and Eric. So roughly between the interviews, the research that you do, which is voluminous, the production, how many hours a week is uh, sort of for you the business of wrestling taking up? Well, I mean, I work from the minute I wake up until I go to bed. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't hate that because I enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, I know my wife gets annoyed with it, but I find a way to uh, keep her happy, and, and, and we keep the train on the track. <laughs> Blue chip. I mean, that's really it. We, you know, I, I wake up every day at 7, and uh, I'll do a little bit of uh, planning for the day, and then I'll do live radio for a mortgage company from like 7.30 to 8.15, and then I go to the office. And uh, I'll answer, you know, podcast emails sort of intermittently, and I've got something playing in the background just for research purposes, so I have it there. Uh, and then at night, when I get home, it's time to tape a podcast. So I'll usually come home, have dinner, tape a podcast, and then hang out with the wife, and then rinse, lather, repeat. And I do that every day. Uh, and then on the weekend, you know, if I'm not out of town, I try to load up. So uh, like this past Saturday, I taped two podcasts. On Sunday, I taped three. So I'm I'm ahead now. Uh, but that doesn't really help me because this coming weekend I'll be in Jacksonville with Jim Ross and I'll be in Philadelphia with Jim Ross. So I'm not going to be available to tape this weekend. So I needed to double up, but if I could continue to double up on the weekends, in theory, uh, we'll bank a bunch of shows and, and I won't be running ragged here. And then the last one for me is, uh, you know, those who listen to this podcast know Rick Flair is your father-in-law, longtime friend before your father-in-law, that would make Charlotte Flair, of course, your sister-in-law. They, at least in Charlotte's case, obviously, are very current uh, when it comes to working in the WWE. Do you um, try to stay current and follow storylines, follow the business of what's going on with WWE, AEW, or because you're so um, invested in the nostalgia of the business, do you not want that to sort of be part of your brain be part of your everyday life and you want to um you want to just focus on the past because obviously you've had such a successful um enterprise when it comes to wrestling nostalgia i uh, i record everything but i'll fast forward everything so uh, i do keep up with like the uh wrestling observer and mike johnson over at pw insider and if I hear from my friends or one of those two sources that something important happened or something noteworthy happened or something great happened, then I'll go out of my way to rewatch that, uh, not in fast forward. But usually, you know, I'll knock out a three-hour Raw in 20 minutes, and I'll knock out a two-hour SmackDown in 12, and I've got my, you know, half hour of WWE this week, and I'm good to go. But there's other stuff where I know I'm missing something really good, and I just haven't had a chance to get to it. I'm a few takeovers behind. And some of my friends who are, you know, hardcore wrestling fans, they tell me I'm missing the absolute best stuff, but time's at a premium. So instead of watching, you know, this brand new takeover with this incredible Johnny Gargano match, I'm going to watch Bash at the Beach in 1997 to see if Dennis Rodman really did fall asleep on the turnbuckle. That sounds silly, uh, but that's, that's sort of what I've signed up for, and, and that's what I've got to do. Do you have, I'll ask you one last one, because this sort of interacts in my world. Do you, what is your thought about... Um, the WWE moving to Fox uh, on Friday nights with SmackDown. They'll be on uh, on over-the-air Fox. Uh, and I guess the other part of this would be um, they do get the Fox promotional machine pushing them during NFL games and and other Fox property. That's, that's obviously with the declining ratings a little bit. That, I think, is one that 
at least people in my world, the sports media world, they're going to be paying attention to, even if you're not a wrestling fan? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to get a lot of attention, but I do think that the expectations are going to be through the roof, and I think they're going to have uh, their work cut out for them just because fans are going to, the current fans are going to have a certain expectation, but maybe the more lapsed fans or casual fans, like my dad is probably going to watch WWE on Fox. I don't know that he'll stick with it, but he's going to watch that first episode because I know they're going to promote it on, around football and uh, some of their other sports properties. So wrestling, even though I'm as involved in it as I am, my dad does not watch wrestling. But he's going to see these promos, and he's going to want to watch one and just check it out because he used to watch when I was a kid pretty regularly. And if it's not exactly what he's hoping for, he's going to say, oh, this is silly, turn his channel. And he's gone. And, and I know that that is the task at hand, and that's why maybe you do look to somebody like an Eric Bischoff who's totally out of the bubble, who's not super familiar with the current product, who's not living and dying by what's happening you know, in the storylines right now, who can come in with a fresh perspective and say, hey, what about this? Because by nature... Eric Bischoff is a lot like my dad in that he's not going out of his way to watch wrestling every week, but he knows what he likes. And if it's good, it'll keep his attention. And if it's not, well, he's just going to go on to something else. So I think, I think Eric's probably the right guy for that. Um, but as, as Jim said, you know, if your head coach ain't winning, you just get another head coach. So the stakes are high for Vince, for Fox, for Eric Bischoff. I can't wait to see what happens. Conrad Thompson is the host of four immensely popular wrestling podcasts, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, What Happened When with Tony Schiavone, and Grilling JR with Jim Ross. Conrad, you've always been good to me and to this show. You know, um, I've been there a long time, man. I'm very happy for your success. I appreciate the great content, and uh, and keep on keeping on, man. Thanks, uh, Thanks, as always, for giving me some time today on the Sports Media Podcast. No, man, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, being down with us since day one. And uh, I've still got where you said we were the uh, best podcast in sports framed in my studio right now. So uh, I appreciate the nod and and your support from so early on. It was very uh, unexpected, and I'm glad to see that uh, you're still killing it doing your thing as well. That's a high honor, Conrad. I, I, I... I, I toss a blue chew in your direction for such, uh, for, such nice, for such nice words. Conrad Thompson, everyone. Thanks, Conrad. No, thank you, man. All right, let's take a break for a second and talk about ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates, and that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. All right, what is ZipRecruiter? ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't just stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who have posted on ZipRecruiter Get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. ZipRecruiter.com slash A-P-P-R-O-A-C-H. ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. ZipRecruiter. 
the smartest way to hire. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, as I said at the top, Chris Herring is a senior NBA writer for 538 and the former Knicks beat writer at the Wall Street Journal. Wow, Chris Herring, like Tim Robbins and Shawshank Redemption escaping the Knicks. Bravo to him. Chris <laughs> Herring is uh, one of the guys I enjoy reading on the NBA, and he joins me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Chris, how are you? I'm good, Richard. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for popping on today. Um, all right, so you know, Chris, that this is a sports media podcast. So, um, you know, you've done many NBA podcasts. This one, uh, the, the conversation I want to have with you is just sort of in relation to how you think all of the free agents, free agency and free agent moves will impact interest, specifically viewer interest in the NBA next year. So let's start there. Um, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving head to Brooklyn. I know Durant's out for a year. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George head to the Clippers. Uh, Kemba Walker is now a Celtic. It just seems like, Chris, like the whole league kind of changed within the course of a couple of weeks. How do you view these moves in terms of sort of the larger scale popularity of the NBA? Well, I think it'll, it'll be interesting. What it'll do more than anything is kind of definitely shift stuff around. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I can't remember who I was talking with, you know, obviously do a, a lot of work with ESPN as well. And, um, I can't remember who I was talking with that kind of told me how the TV stuff in general works, where they kind of have their A++ teams that they put on the air, um, you know, which obviously in past years has kind of just been the Warriors and Cleveland or whatever team LeBron was on. And, you know, when Miami had LeBron, it was them. But now what's interesting about it is that, one of the big moves that happened comes from somebody leaving a team that would have hurt a lot of the ratings on a national scale. So Kawhi, I mean, there's a reason that you traditionally have not seen the Raptors on national television much. And it's because yeah, you know very well, obviously how the Raptors impact national ratings and why they wouldn't be shown on Christmas day and stuff like that, because the viewership doesn't count toward the American ratings. And so it's interesting just from that standpoint, the national TV ratings will probably improve a lot from what they would have been if Kawhi had stayed in Toronto. Um, but just as an aside, too, I mean, I think it's interesting that I don't know how immediate the interest level will be in, in Brooklyn because Durant probably won't play at all this year. If he does, it'll be at the very end of the year. And so, you know, the question of how Brooklyn's TV ratings do, I would imagine that they'll, they'll see a local boost uh, from having Kyrie there. Um, but I don't know that the team will be so, so much better right away without Durant playing. And so it is interesting that you'll have that. It's interesting that a team like Oklahoma City all of a sudden may not have Russell Westbrook, and that was a team that for years was kind of thought of as one of those A, A-list teams uh, that ESPN would put on national air. And all of a sudden they, they not only don't have Paul George, but you know it wouldn't be surprising if Russell Westbrook isn't there on opening day either. And so that's a team that wouldn't get the TV attention that they've been getting. Um, and kind of you know where does Russ go and, and whether that team gets more – 
exposure. But obviously the Clippers will be a big draw. And it's interesting now because you'll have, you know, the L.A. rivalry will be a thing that TV can tap into. I would expect that the Clippers will have much better viewership uh, locally than they, they did before, obviously. Um, but it's interesting because, I, you know, there's it's kind of a wide-open league to some extent, even with the Clippers being as good as they're expected to be and the Lakers being as good as they'll be. Um, it still will probably be pretty wide open where there's not just a, a team that everybody expects will win it, like Golden State. And generally speaking, having a team like that generally helps ratings. And so it'll be really interesting to see how it is now. It's kind of a wide open spread, spread out league. Chris, this is always an age old question, but um, do you, th- and again, I'm just asking you your opinion. We'll forget about the metrics for a second. Do you think parity or at least so-called parity, you know, or maybe 10 or 11 teams have a real shot is better for the popularity of a league versus a league that has two really dominant teams or a couple of super teams? I, I mean, I think, honestly, and, you know, you're speaking to someone that, that lives in Chicago now, that grew up in Chicago. I think from an interest standpoint, um, when you have a, a season where it's kind of basically a game of capture the flag and just trying to catch the person that's got it, I, I think that in some ways it's more fun to watch. I also think we talk ourselves into the idea that a team is inevitable or unbeatable and then something happens and then they get beaten. And that was what happened with the Warriors this past year. So I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. Um, I mean, I think people always talk about it as a self-fulfilling prophecy when that team wins. But, um, I mean, I think this year we'll have enough of both, and I think that that will make it compelling. You'll have a couple teams that you absolutely expect to be really good with, with the teams in L.A. I think Philly will be really good. I think the Bucks will be really good again. But it's definitely the, – the feeling of it is more wide open just because of the – you know the expected decline of the Warriors. So I think it's kind of going to be the best of both worlds. You know, if you're a person that claims to have not watched the NBA because it was just too uh, much of a foregone conclusion as to who would win, um, you might have more incentive to tune in this year. Um, and if you like the idea of, of super teams, I don't think we have teams that have three stars like the, the Heat did during those years, but you've got a lot of really compelling duos now all of a sudden that will make it interesting to watch as well. So I, I think the league is in a, a really good spot from that standpoint. And obviously from a viewership standpoint, they've been doing pretty well anyway. Chris, one of the things uh, you mentioned earlier is Los Angeles, which has now become the center of the basketball, the NBA basketball universe again, you know, just uh, up the road now from Golden State. And those games should be, I mean, unbelievably interesting uh, between the Lakers and the Clippers for many, many reasons. What I don't know is, and again, this was sort of a significant issue this year, is can that kind of game attract an East Coast audience? What we saw with LeBron moving from Cleveland to Los Angeles is we saw that early game, uh, especially on Turner, have some challenges in terms of getting viewership numbers. That might have also been a product of, you know, Philly, Milwaukee, whatever, as opposed to, you know, the guaranteed viewership with LeBron there. But that's my question is no doubt like hardcore basketball fans like that's really exciting and I'd want to watch it. But you are making that commitment to at least if you're on the Eastern time zone, you know, sticking around till close to one in the morning till its conclusion. Do you think the, the Los Angeles are is there enough superpower, I guess, in Los Angeles to keep East Coast viewers, casual NBA fans up to watch those games? I 
I think this might be about as close as you could get. I think the only other thing that really could have changed the dynamic um, and made it to where, okay, I'm just going to have to completely readjust my sleep schedule or or adjust it to begin with. Um, If Durant had stayed in Golden State, and, I mean, obviously, too, you'd be factoring in the idea that he'd be healthy, that Clay was healthy, all of a sudden you'd have probably the three best teams uh, in the NBA with the Warriors, the Clippers, and the Lakers, or at least perceived that way, you would have the three best teams all in California. And you wouldn't be talking about Brooklyn the way we're talking about them now. Um, even if Kyrie had stayed with Boston, it'd kind of be the same way. So that would be, at that point, I kind of feel like the diehards and the people that, that claim to care about the league as much as they do, you would probably have to do that. And I, I, Honestly, I kind of feel like you still kind of have to do that. The West still got stronger um, this year. I mean, we've watched a few years in a row of that happening with kind of the imbalance and the general idea around that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like people, it is interesting because you have moments and, and honestly, I feel like even free agency played out this way. Kawhi made his decision very late at night um, about going to the Clippers. And I, you know, as one of the people that was awake living in the middle of the country, it was really interesting to see how many people didn't see it and didn't notice it. And quite frankly, the Clippers beating the Warriors in a 31-point comeback during the playoffs, that was kind of one of those moments where it was kind of fun to watch everyone wake up and say, wait, what happened? Because they were down by so much at one point, and everyone had either tuned out of the game or had not watched it to begin with. And so I I do think some of that will probably always happen, but um, I'll be honest, when LeBron decided to go to the Lakers, that was immediately one of my first thoughts, is that um, this is going to either shift the way a lot of people watch television and how late they stay up to do it or that will be one area where the ratings really do impact the league because LeBron you know regardless of what team he's on is always going to kind of drive people to watch that team more but it becomes a bigger challenge when half the country more than half the country can't watch. Chris the last one I want to discuss is what went down um, throughout the Kawhi Leonard watch we, we call the Kawhi watch up here in Toronto but you know basically the Kawhi Leonard the uh, news cycle. And what was interesting to me is, and this is not a new revelation, but I think this is sort of the world that exists. What's become clear is that if you are a quote-unquote personality, or if your job on television is just to sort of provide takes, hot takes, you know, medium takes, cool takes, just basically, you know, fill the content machine with air. If you are wrong about this stuff, even in a reporting context, there's really no penalties for it. So there's almost an incentive to just sort of throw stuff out there, whether it's really well-sourced or, you know, half-ass sourced, just to get your sort of name out there. And if you turn out to be wrong, as many, many people were uh, in this situation, you know, what's the ramifications? If your employer doesn't care, you're still on the air. Um, and so it was very interesting to watch a lot of the, uh, those who are personalities really push Kawhi going to the Lakers where the traditional NBA reporters, I think the majority of them, uh, who cover the league day-to-day, were so much more circumspect. Uh, You know, rarely putting out stuff, and if they put out stuff, it was, you know, like my buddy Jabari Young. It was sort of very, like, uh, low-key, like, you know, I'm hearing that Kawhi's camp is indeed not considering a short-term deal. They're interested in a long-term deal. You know, very sort of specific information, which I imagine he probably got from the Leonard camp, uh, as opposed to, you know, I'm hearing 93.4% that 
Kawhi's <laughs> coming to Toronto. I, as someone right. obviously who covers the league, follows the league, is immersed in the league, um, and I'm not looking for you to bury anybody per se. It's more just of observationally. W- what did you make of last week? Because it was a pretty fascinating week media-wise, including a lot of fans who are trying to um, become sort of mini woges, get burned because their sourcing turned out not to be correct either. Right. No, I, I had editors ask me about this uh, at 538. I mean, I think what what this taught us, and I think there have been several instances that have taught us something, it's okay not to know, at least from where I sit in the job I'm asked to do, it's okay to just say that you don't know. And I think that there are a lot of people, maybe TV is a lot different where that's not good enough or there's a perception that you have to seem like you're in the know when like really, I mean, Woj and the Woges of the world, like it's very clear for the most part who the sourced folks are that know this stuff. And and quite frankly, I think fans are just kind of so uh, hungry for information of any sort, whether it's actually trustworthy or not based on who it's coming from and who's traditionally had this sort of information um, that there's such a hunger out there that if you can say something and kind of wrap it in wording that makes it seem like you might know more And I think TV, there's always more um, of a trust factor with fans that you wouldn't say something on TV if you didn't know it to be true. And so, you know, I get asked about stuff by my editors, like, are we doing something on this? And, you know, I kind of have to pull back sometimes from from them because just because it's on TV doesn't make it completely true or completely sourced. Um, And and I I just kind of feel like because there's so much free air and and airtime, it was made to seem like Kawhi's decision took forever when realistically, I think just that first day of free agency was so quick and almost everything was figured out already that it made it look like Kawhi had taken four weeks to make a decision when he really took one. And, and, you know, comparing that to the past, you know, when LeBron decided to leave Miami to go back to Cleveland, that was something like a, a 10 or 11 day decision um, from when free agency started to when he made that choice. And it's, it's, so it's really not that Kawhi took that long, but I just kind of feel like the, the cycle was pushing for stuff to happen so quickly. And now in hindsight, we know why it took a while. Again, not that long, but a while. It was because he was trying to wait on the Clippers to make the trade happen to, to kind of ensure that he wanted to go there. So, I mean, I feel like the stuff resolves itself quickly, but I think the news cycle pushes stuff forward and fans are so hungry for it that there's kind of going to be some news from someone if you're that desperate to hear it. Chris, uh, last one. Los Angeles Lakers, L.A. Clippers, second round of the playoffs, seven-game series. Who are you picking right now before any moves happen? I'd take the Clippers. I mean, and also I feel like if, if they meet in the second round, that'll be something because it would say that one of them was lower seated than what the way we're talking about it now. I take the Clippers. I just like their depth a lot more. Um, you know, I, I feel like they basically have two lineups you could roll out there that could very easily be starting lineups. Maybe the second one wouldn't be nearly as dominant or nearly as good, but, you know, I would take Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell and whether it's going to be Mo Harkless or Landry Shamit on that bench, I, I, I like that lineup and I think they're very good. And that's kind of where I take issue with the Lakers. I think that they've got a ton of talent, especially the, the top two guys that you would trust. Um, and then however you feel about Kuzma, I just don't love the idea. You know, we saw Chris Haynes' report about LeBron playing point guard or being their point guard this year, which, you know, some people were like, what difference does that make? He's always kind of been a nominal point guard, whether he was called that or not. 
I just don't like the fact that they, they seem to have swung completely the opposite direction of what they had last year. They had so many ball handlers last year and no shooting, and now they've gone out and gotten all shooting, and it doesn't really feel like they have people that are comfortable handling the ball outside of Rondo, really, who's a player that at this point in his career um, I don't see as being helpful on defense. I find them to be a distributor on offense, but not much else. Um, and so I just like the fact that the Clippers have three, four guys that you would feel comfortable with handling the ball now. And I feel like with the Lakers of their wing players, LeBron is the only one that I would really want with the ball in his hands that I would really, really trust all the time. And so I, I like the Clippers a lot more than the Lakers right now. But, but who knows? I mean, stuff can change, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers try to, whether it's an Iguodala or someone like that, that they try to go get one more guy if and when that person becomes available. Yeah, I agree with you on that analysis. The only thing I would say is I'm not saying they're going to win the West, but watch out for Utah. Really good starting five. Maybe a little short on depth, but Mike Conley, I think, will be a revelation on that team. That's, that's, I'm looking forward to watching those guys play. He's going to help Mitchell a ton. He's going to help Mitchell a ton. I'll add one more to that. Um, because some of these teams have been well-positioned already and didn't need to do as much. I think Houston will be interesting. I don't know that I'd pick them to be the, a favorite at all. Um, they haven't done much, but they're one team that I think people kind of forget about because we talk about Chris Paul's age. Denver is a team that finished right behind Golden Agreed. State, hasn't changed much about their team, and then went out and made a, a really good deal yesterday, only gave up a first-round pick to go get Jeremy Grant who, you know, is part of the wreckage and, and kind of the teardown in Oklahoma City. Um, that's a team that didn't change much about their team last year either after just missing the playoffs and then almost won the yep. one seed. So I think both could be really interesting, and um, especially in a year where we don't quite know what's going to happen out West. But um, it, it should be fun. Either way, it should be a lot of fun next year. Great point. And people, you know, the Nuggets were not just a Game 7 away at home, from advancing to the Western Conference Finals, they're that fourth. I mean, people forget that four-overtime game that the yeah. Trailblazers won could have easily flipped to the Nuggets, and that series could have been over early. So I'm with you. I mean, um, to me, they're right there. And, uh, yeah, the, the, um, the Grant deal is a great move. I mean, that gives them just another player in that rotation, and, uh, and I really like what they've done there as well. All right, Chris Herring is a uh, senior NBA writer for 538. Uh, maybe it's the uh, – do I put the slash ESPN there because you're doing work for them as well? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't even remember how my contract is written out at this point, but, but I, I definitely do plenty of work with both sides. All right, I'll call Uncle Dennis and ask him how your contract's doing. I know you and Kawhi <laughs> are very tight. Uh, and the former Knicks beat writer for the Wall Street Journal uh, and a Michigan grad. We always like that as well. Chris, uh, thanks for uh, popping on the Sports Media Podcast. Continued success, and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again soon. Appreciate it. Sounds great, Richard. Take care. Thank you again. All right, back in the studio. My thanks so much to uh, Conrad Thompson and Chris Herring for two great conversations. Um, If you're interested in this kind of uh, content, uh, head to uh, the uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play Stitcher, and just check out uh, who has been on here before. Bob Lee was last week, did... uh, 50 minutes on uh, why he left ESPN, where he thinks ESPN is now. That was uh, that was a great conversation. Before that, John O'Ran of the Sports Business Daily and James Andrew Miller uh, on Bob Lee's legacy and some other topics. We did uh, what it's like to cover an NBA championship with uh, Michael Grange of Sportsnet and Ann Killian of the uh, Bay Area News Group. Before that, Taylor Twelman, the ESPN 
soccer analyst, and then just basically go through all the archives, and uh, you could see all the people we have had on, including Jim Ross, by the way, was a guest on May 16th with Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report. So if you like this kind of stuff, please subscribe, leave us a review. Proof will be a good one. That is how um, that's how this podcast continues. All right, my thanks to Chris Flannery. Thanks to all the guys at uh, and all the women at Cadence 13 for uh, their help and support. And uh, we'll see you again soon. This is Richard Deitch for the Sports Media Podcast.